Open your Bibles with me again to Luke chapter 16, where we ended the first assembly today. Luke chapter 16. Remember, the rich man is in hell and Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man tells Abraham that he has five brethren that he wants them warned lest they come to that place of torment in Luke 16, verse 28. That's a typical request for Arminians. And Abraham said to him in verse 29, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, that is the rich man in verse 30, Nay, Father Abraham, you don't understand my brothers. They really don't like preaching. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he, that is Abraham, said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Whenever you are considering the doctrine of salvation taught in the Bible, or whenever you are speaking to anyone else about it, you must return to the condition of man. We call it total depravity. But it's what the Bible starts with, and it starts that way in the epistle to the Romans. I want you to remember that man is dead in trespasses and sins. God said that that would happen in Genesis chapter 2. In spite of the first Arminian's lie in Genesis chapter 3, that being the devil himself. Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2 both tell us that we were quickened while dead in trespasses and sins. It was when we were dead we were quickened. Not when we had become alive did we believe or do anything. God quickened us while we were dead. We weren't cooperating at all. But the Arminian mentality works this way. If we can improve the methods, we can get people saved. Preaching is not enough. They will no longer endure sound doctrine because they've turned their ears away from hearing the truth and are turned unto fables. So they want something more exciting. They want the testimony of an athlete. They want a beauty queen. They want a praise band. They want gimmicks. They want Paul Anderson lifting 900 pounds, which is back when I was a teenager. And they go on and on with their gimmicks. But let's take preaching. Preaching is sufficient if a man's been born again. But nothing is sufficient if a man hasn't been born again. If a man hasn't been born again, though someone would come back from the dead, like Lazarus, for Abraham's five brothers, they will not be persuaded. But if a man's been born again, then it's just the preaching of the cross, and that dumbed down, without human eloquence, but plainly laying out the facts of the cross, works. Those people respond and love that message because God has done His work in them. If God hasn't done His work, there is no method, there is no means to get the unregenerate to truly convert and repent. Now men will convert and men will repent and men will say they love Jesus and men will make professions of faith, but either it's the wrong Jesus, it's the wrong doctrine, they're insincere. It's not what counts in the sight of God. And so when you look at this passage, and it tells us that Abraham, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ using this example here. It's in the red writing here because it's the Lord Jesus Christ giving this lesson. And 
Even though one would come back from the dead, it would be insufficient if someone does not hear the preaching of the gospel. Methods do not make the difference. The difference is God's operations of grace. And the operation of grace is what we call regeneration or the new birth or being quickened from death in trespasses and sins. A brother at break time, Brother Jerry, reminded me that there were there are incidences in the Bible of men coming back from the dead. And did it lead men to repentance? When Lazarus was brought back from the dead after four days and he stunk, when there were many witnesses there that indeed he was dead in John chapter 11, did Lazarus coming back from the dead move anyone to repentance or did it move the Jews to want to kill Lazarus and Jesus? Look at the effect of it when it actually did happen. It didn't change men. It brought out of men the vicious hatred that they had for the Lord Jesus Christ in spite of the fact that it was well documented and provable that a man had been dead and was now alive. The Lord Jesus Christ came back from the dead and when He rose from the dead, the tombs in Jerusalem were opened and many of the saints came out of those tombs and came into the city. Did that bring men to repentance? No, they paid off. They paid off the soldiers that guarded that tomb. And they continued to believe a lie against the testimony of the eyewitnesses that said what happened there, the Roman soldiers that they had placed. It doesn't bring to repentance. The Bible is just full of this. From cover to cover, without God's grace first, man cannot be moved to proper repentance. He will not believe on the Jesus of the Bible though he very well may receive another Jesus, another gospel, or another spirit, as Paul warned in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's talk about free will for a minute, Arminian. Arminians typically believe that God gave Adam a free will, and all men still have it. God cannot and will not force man against his will. Man must exercise his will to be saved, which is free to either obey or disobey. That's what Arminians typically believe. Man still has a free will, just like Adam had a free will, and he can choose to cooperate with God to get saved. Arminian, here's our question for you as we get started. If you're honest and sincere, does total depravity that we just talked about leave man's will free toward God? Or is that will under such bondage that it hates God? It is not subject to the law of God. It can't be. It can't please God. It can't receive the things of the Spirit of God. The things of the Spirit of God are foolishness to it because it can't even discern them. It can't hear. It can't understand with the hearing. It's dead. There is no free will. The will of man is dead in the sense that it is dead toward God and alive toward sin. It's alive toward this world. It's alive toward the prince of the power of the air. It's alive toward the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It's alive toward trespasses and sin, but it's dead toward God. What died when Adam died? One of the things that died was his will. There was no will with any sense of equilibrium. It was entirely committed to sin. And you can see it as soon as you get to the seventh verse when he starts sowing fig leaves together, hiding in the trees of the garden, blaming God and avoiding God. That's what men have done ever since. That will isn't free. Can any man choose Christ and righteousness as freely as he chooses the devil and wickedness? Based on the verses we've looked at, there's no comparison. 
Arminian, is natural man's condition such that he is at a crossroads and all you must do is invite him to Jesus to get him saved? No, there has to be so much more done to arrest that man as we sing in one of our songs. Arminian, if you leave eternal life up to man's will, based on the total depravity that we've already shown you, how many will be saved? If we leave eternal life up to man's free will, how many will be saved? None. Because none will believe. None will repent. None will humble themselves. Jeremiah 13.23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can a leopard change his spots? Then may ye do righteousness that are accustomed to do evil. How many exceptions are are there to the first rule? Can the Ethiopian change his skin? He was born black and he's going to die black. Can he change his skin color? No. Can a leopard get stripes like a tiger? Or is he born with spots? Can can those wicked that are accustomed to do evil do righteousness? No. They do not have a free will. That will is enslaved by sin and they chose that enslavement in the Garden of Eden. We all did in our father Adam. There are no exceptions. Romans 8, 7, and 8. I'm going to say it to you again because I don't want you to forget some of these verses that are so important. So then they that are in the, the, so the carnal mind is enmity against God. Enmity against God, not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Four points about man. That is not a free will. That is an enslaved will. That is a will that is the bondage of sin and Satan. That is walking according to the course of this world. It's not walking freely. It chooses. And it chooses gladly because it's in bondage to sin. It never chooses Godward. If Adam had a free will, as you say, Arminian, and we might agree with you on that point, what happened to it after the fall? What died? Something died that day. We say that part of that was his will. It became enslaved to sin. He died in his desire and ability toward God. He desired in his perception and discernment of spiritual things. If Adam still had a free will after his fall and death, why did he reject God who approached him so gently in Eden and reject him when so much at stake? You'll never be able to put so much at stake in front of any other man. The entire human race was at stake with Adam. But when God approached him, did he come running out from the trees of the garden and fall at his feet and beg for mercy? Where was his free will? We'll tell you where it was. It's the same place it's been ever since. Enslaved to sin and Satan. Look at John chapter 1, Arminian. You need to come to John chapter 1. We know that you can find it in your Bible because you like to use verse 12. But we want to remind you that verse 12 doesn't end with a period. Verse 12 is only half of a sentence. And the better half is in the, is in the next verse. Because the first verse, the first half is dependent upon the second half. John 1 verse 13. Which were born. You want to talk about becoming the sons of God, Arminian, as you do from verse 12? Well, what about verse 13? Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You want to say that man has a free will? Well, if man has a free will, God's decided not to use it. Because it's not the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. 
Is the free will of man that you affirm is involved in his salvation, the will of man, the will of the flesh, or both? Arminian, I need your help. I need your help. Is the will, the free will that's necessary to get you saved, the will of man, or the will of the flesh, or is it both? I don't really care about your answer. Because John 1.13 condemns you no matter which you pick, A, B, or C. Because your will is not involved. The will of the flesh, that is what you have by your first birth, is not involved. The will of man, that is some other man that wills you to be saved like godparents in the Catholic Church and other churches. No one else can be involved to help get you saved. It's not the will of the soul winner. There's no will involved but the will of God. John 1, 13. Why do you exalt man's free will so much, Arminian? Since God condemns the will of the flesh and the will of man. I want you young people to remember these verses. John 1.13 is one you want to keep handy whenever someone tries to talk about the will of man being involved in salvation. It's not involved. In order for someone to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, which is described in verses 11 and 12, they had to have been born again first by God. And it was not the will of the flesh because the will of the flesh would never choose God. It was not the will of man because no man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. It is the choice of God. How much of a role does the will of the flesh or the will of man have in being born again, according to John 1.13? None at all. And that is consistent with what the rest of the Bible teaches us. If anyone ever wills anything toward God, it is because God worked in them both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Now let's come over to Romans chapter 9. Isn't that the corrupting use of Scripture? To use John 1, 12 and not to teach people John 1, 13? Romans chapter 9. I thank God for John Bunyan. He may have been an error on some points. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. It's been a favorite of many Christians for the last 400 years. His final sermon from his deathbed was John 1, 13. Not John 1, 12. He understood which work took place first. He understood the operation of grace necessary for anyone to ever receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Is the Lord Jesus Christ one of the things of the Spirit of God? Of course He is. The Spirit of God is given to testify of Jesus. And yet in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. But John 1.12 says, but as many as received Him. Well, how in the world did they receive the Lord Jesus Christ when the Bible says they will not receive the Lord Jesus Christ? They will not receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit because they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Romans 9.15, let's, let's get free will here. I do believe in free will. I believe in the free will of God. Romans 9.15, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Arminian, where is man's will in the first half of Romans 9.15? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Arminian... Hello? Where is man's will in getting the mercy of God? Where is the will of man and the free will that you teach so loudly in the second half of the verse? I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Where is man's free will? 
Verse 16, this is what you need, Arminian. So then it is not of him that willeth. Willing is not involved in obtaining God's mercy, nor of him that runneth. There's no soul-winning methods or means by which you can get God's mercy to a sinner, but of God that showeth mercy. And how does he do it? He makes a choice, and he says, live, and he shows mercy, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his own mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Oh, Arminian, look at those two verses. What will you do with them? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. We give great honor and glory to the will of God in giving mercy to us, but not the will of the sinner. It is not of him that willeth, is that 16th verse. Arminian, when we go to Romans chapter 5 and look at verses 6 through 10, it says that when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. What didn't we have strength to do? Anything Godward. Why didn't we have strength? Because we were... Dead. How much strength does a dead man have? He has none. Romans chapter 5 goes on to say that when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Do you want to tell me that while you were an enemy, you were exercising your will toward God? It says while we were enemies, we were reconciled. Because God sent His Son who said, Not my will, but thine be done. It is all the will of God who sent His Son Jesus for our redemption and for our salvation. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Arminian, I'm running out of time, so you're going to get a little reprieve soon. But not yet. I'm running out of time, but I'm going to be back after you. If I were to read to you Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, we know these verses well. I don't think you know them very well at all. But I can tell you that the word will occurs in these verses three times. Whose will is it, Arminian? Whose will is it? Whose will is in verse 5? Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. And verse 9, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. Is there something wrong with that wording, Arminian? Do you think that your will is in there at all? How about verse 11? In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. That's heaven, Arminian. You don't get there by your free will. You get there by God's free will. Being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. It's not your will. It's not synergistic with your will. It is God's will against your will. Because if God didn't save you against your will, you couldn't be saved. Because you're willingly following the devil, the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. You are not subject to the law of God, nor anything that he would require of thee. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot, you will not. And therefore it's got to be the will of someone greater than you. And blessed be God. And we give him all the honor and the glory. And we prostrate ourselves before him. And thank him, blessed God, for saving us. God be merciful to us sinners. Because we know that your mercy is only by your will toward us. Thank you, Lord, for changing our will. Oh, Lord, and continue to change our will. 
Armenian, I need to ask you, did Nebuchadnezzar speak the truth when he said in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35, he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. We're not talking about trees and stones. We're talking about the army of heaven that is made up of angelic beings. We're talking about the inhabitants of the earth. Those are people on this planet and he doeth according to his will among them. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? And all the inhabitants of the earth, according to him and in his sight, are reputed as nothing. He doesn't give a rip about what you think is free will. He doesn't give a rip about being fair with you. He's better than fair. He shouldn't have saved any of us. But he has saved a great number that cannot be, multi- cannot be counted and numbered for multitude. Thank you, Nebuchadnezzar. We always knew that you were smarter than an Arminian. Arminian... Does a potter have authority and right to make what he wants from clay? How is God different? Romans chapter 9 verses 20 and 21. Romans chapter 9 verses 20 and 21. Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? You Arminians that think it's not fair for God not to save you by your free will, but to save by His free will, you don't think it's fair? Here's what Paul had to say about you, even questioning this matter. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Oh, Arminian, is it the clay that's got the will or is it the potter that's got the will? Does that bother you, Arminian? We love it because we know if it wasn't for God's will on our behalf, there's no hope for us. And so we thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, for his will that sent Jesus Christ to save us. Clay is neutral, Arminian, toward man. Clay has never offended man. And yet you'll admit that any potter can make anything he wants from a lump of clay. But man is God's rebel enemy. Why does it bother you when God makes something good from that rebel enemy clay? Right. Arminian, you have a problem in Genesis chapter 3 when it says to the woman, thy desire shall be to thy husband. Arminian, do you even understand that? Do you know who's got the free will in marriage over the woman? Her husband. But you don't want to give that prerogative to God? Arminian, come here. Are you going to tell me that you understand Genesis 3.16? That a husband makes the decisions in a marriage and has the will over his wife and the wife's desire shall be to her husband. But you won't give that to God? You arrogant, presumptuous man. You want to dominate a woman by making decisions that she's supposed to submit to in reverence, and yet you won't give the God of heaven that liberty and authority in your life? You're nauseating me. If a man must have a free will, Arminian, listen to me carefully. If man must have a free will and God cannot violate it, to be fair, do saved people have a free will in heaven and possibly sin? Or does God, in your scheme of things, finally reject free will for some new reason to keep them from sinning? Arminian, hello? 
If God has to give you free will, then when we're glorified, we must have a free will. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that He's going to rip all freedom of my will away and He's going to glorify me so that I will love only righteousness. That is liberty and freedom that I love. Free from sin. Free to righteousness forever. Oh, you're ridiculous. If man must have a free will for God to be fair, did Jesus have a free will, Arminian? Could he have sinned? If God cannot violate man's will, Arminian, I've been to your prayer meetings. Why do you pray for God to save souls? Should you not be begging those souls instead? What good does it do to ask God? He has to allow them to have their free will anyway. Oh, Arminian, I'll let you off here momentarily on this point. Was David a fatalist for asking God to make him go in the way of God's commandments? Was David a fatalist for saying, God, make me do what is right. God, incline my heart after thy commandments. Does that bother you? Why would David make such a prayer like that? If there was ever a man in the Old Testament that had a free will, it would have been David. But he's asking God to take away that freedom and to incline his heart and make him go in the way of righteousness. Why does it bother you if God does that to his elect? Oh, Arminian, we've got to deal with one more thing before we go. I'll let you off for a week, but one more thing. Why would you come up with this one? This really bothers me. Why do you have this thing called the age of accountability? Here's what Arminians typically believe. Since faith in Jesus is necessary for eternal life, and infants and little children can hardly have faith, and all children have to go to heaven, they go there by free grace until they're 12. Then they go to hell. That's the Arminian idea of salvation. If any child dies in the womb by miscarriage or abortion, if any child dies in infancy, or a child dies when he rides his bike at the age of 10 onto a highway and gets hit by a Mack truck, they all go to heaven because they're under the age of accountability. I have a few questions for you. Arminian, what is the age of accountability in your opinion? I know I've just thrown a number out, but what do you think? Is it 12? Is it 13? Or is it 11? Or is it 20? What is it in God's opinion? Sweet. I love the Lord. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Arminian, is this idea due to a combination that's got you a little worked up? Eternal life is conditional. Babies cannot fulfill conditions. We have to get all babies in heaven one way or another. No baby can go to hell. And if we can get them at 12, we can put them in Awana and get them saved. Is that how you think, Arminian? Is that what caused this new doctrine of the age of accountability? Where is it in the Bible, Arminian? What is the number? Is this your idea? Is this your effort to make God fair and righteous in your opinion compared to the Bible facts? Where is 12 in the Bible? Is it because Jesus was 12 in the temple? Is it because Jairus' daughter was 12 when she was raised from the dead? Or is it because that's the age to join the Boy Scouts? Or is it because a preacher one time had a child die at 11? How'd they pick the age of 12? Where did it come from, Arminian? 
When I look in the Bible, I can find an age of accountability, and it's 20. And I find it in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 39 compared to Numbers 14 and verse 29. When the twelve spies came back from spying out the land of Canaan, ten said they can't take it because there's giants there. Two said they could take it. The nation agreed with the ten, wanted to kill the two, along with Moses and Aaron. And God said, I will kill this entire generation, but I will save everyone that has been numbered from the age of twenty downward because they didn't know the difference between good and evil. So if there's an age of accountability in the Bible, Arminian, it's twenty. Now tell that to your youth group. And the next time an evangelist is in your pulpit preaching hellfire, and if they go out of this assembly without inviting Jesus into their heart, just remember to add on a PS. This doesn't apply to any of you under 20. Now Arminian, because we try to use the Bible, in Deuteronomy 139 I can find that the age of accountability is 20. But when I go to Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 3, I find out that 20 and 60 are the same in God's opinion. So I want to tell you that the age of accountability for me is 60 because I'm 55. And I have a scriptural basis for it and you have nothing but the imagination that you inherited from your mother in Rome. She makes baptism necessary for salvation and so she has invented every conceivable concept of applying water or not applying water and calling it baptism and because you have made the fatal assumption that is the exercise of a sinful, depraved will that gets a person in heaven, you have to cover for all those children that are not old enough to hear and believe and invite Jesus into their heart. So you continue to create false doctrines because you don't understand what the Bible teaches. What does the age of accountability mean, Arminian? Does it mean you're not accountable to accept Jesus in order to go to heaven until you're 12? Or does it mean that you're not accountable for your sins until you're 12? Or does it mean you're not accountable for Adam's sin until you're 12? What do you mean by it? Do children ever die in the womb or after birth? Do you believe in miscarriages ever happening? If so, Arminian, why do they die? The wages of sin is death. It appears that they're accountable in someone's eyes. Do we all know that? Is it for their sins? Is it for Adam's sin? Is it for others' sins? Can a child of 11 steal or lie, Arminian? Is it sin if he steals or lies? How about nine? How about seven? Five? Three? If a child can sin at eleven, how do they get to heaven? Since no longer by innocence, is it by free grace? You're just confusing things so drastically. Since God does not hold a child, child accountable until twelve, you call it the age of accountability, how can you spank children before that age? If a child invites Jesus into her heart before she is 12, can it save her since she's not accountable? Remember Elijah, Arminian. Remember Elijah. If there is an age of accountability, loving parents would kill their children to guarantee their eternal life before they reach that age of accountability. For if they allowed them to reach it, there there would be the high probability of eternal damnation. Do you understand that, Arminian? that you have created one nightmare. We should enjoy children for the first 10 or 11 years of their lives, then gently euthanize them when they're before they turn 12 and have their birthday. It'll save you 12 candles, Arminian. 
And that way you can guarantee them eternal life. You can know their name is written in the book of life. You can sing there's a new name written down in glory just after you pull the wet cloth off of their face. If there's an age of accountability, Arminian, does it stand to reason that abortion clinics are the greatest evangelistic device or soul-winning method ever created? Arminian, if there's an age of accountability, is heaven filled with the children of Noah's generation, the infants of Sparta, the firstborn of Egypt, the sucklings of Canaan, and the abortions of Russia? That's the population of heaven, huh? And you want to go there, Arminian? I want you to think about what you're teaching when you say there's an age of accountability. Since all abortions, miscarriages, and children dying before 12 are in heaven by free grace without conditions, do you agree that the great majority in heaven are there by sovereign grace without faith? Hold on, brethren. If this is true, Arminian, if this is true, do you see that your doctrine of unconditional salvation extends even wider than ours? <laughs> oh, Lord God in heaven, I thank thee, Lord, for Romans chapter 5 that tells me that even them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression were under the curse of death. Why do you think miscarriages take place? The wages of sin is death. Whose death, I mean, whose sin causes those deaths? Adam. And whose obedience can bring eternal life to a miscarried child? The Lord Jesus Christ. We have a consistent scriptural answer for all these dilemmas that are really no dilemmas at all. The dilemmas are created by false assumptions and false doctrines. Arminian, I'm going to let you go for a week. But we'll be back because there's more to say. There's a few more questions to ask. But, oh, my brethren, our purpose is to delight in the Lord God, our Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. And, oh, brethren, it's not the gospel that saves us. It's no minister that can get anyone to heaven. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who has purged us from our sins by Himself, as the Bible tells us. As we come toward Romans chapters 10 and 11, I want it so obvious to you that we can go through those verses and you're going to think this is like falling off a log. And I am not trying to move you without Scripture. I'm trying to move you by Scripture. That as we come to those texts, those little pretexts, those little sound bites that they pull out of that 10th chapter, you're going to understand, I see that exactly. Now, it cannot mean what they say it does. Because it's in a context, and it's in a context of God's Word, and it's in a context of Romans. May the Lord bless us to that end.